Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. It's good to be here. It's good to be in the place where we can make independent, evidence-based decisions based on good information that comes from God. And uh, that's what we get to do as we get into the Word together tonight. If you are here, I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, chapter 11. Um, if you need a Bible tonight because you're without one for whatever reason, you can get the attention of one of the ushers and they'll drop a Bible off to you so you can follow along with us. The New Testament book of Acts. Uh, a little bit later on, we're going to be in uh, Matthew 22. And uh, we'll finish out at the end in the book of Jude. So if you're one that wants to find places ahead of time, uh, you can do that. Or if you uh, just like to follow along on the screen, that is okay as well. So um, we are in Acts 11. Um, I'm going to share tonight some things that some of you are going to find challenging, but probably not in the way that you think when I first say that. Uh, Some of you are going to find it comforting and helpful. Uh, And I'm going to find some of it a little bit difficult. I was talking through some of it um, with my wife, and I was choking up just a touch. I'm going to pray in Jesus' name right now when we begin the service. That doesn't happen because it's very embarrassing. But uh, I assure you that God is going to speak tonight in some way to you. So let's just pray as we prepare our hearts to get in the Word. Lord, we uh, again thank you for um, who you are and the work that you do in our lives. And we thank you that you're faithful to complete what you've begun. And we stand in that confidence tonight that wherever we are in our walk with you at the beginning, in the middle someplace, or uh, nearing the end, Lord, we know that you have been faithful, that you are faithful, and that you will be faithful to us, Lord. So we uh, just recommit ourselves even now at the beginning of the service, and we pray, Lord, that you would have your way in shaping us into the people that you want us to be, that we would be Christ-like, that you would continue to lead our path, that we would know your will for us individually, for our families, for our church body, uh, and for the world that we're in in this time. And we pray that you would speak through the scriptures tonight to us, that we would have ears to hear what you want to say. So we ask that you would hear us now in these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, One of the most famous phrases that Jesus used or teachings that Jesus gave was in John's gospel, the 15th chapter, where he said to his disciples, he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And uh, he then, you know, used that to um, communicate how life is supposed to be lived attached to him. He said, abide in me. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branch. And the branch cannot uh, survive, uh, let alone bear fruit in and of itself, except it stays attached to the vine. And he said, you can do nothing apart from me. And he said that you cannot bear fruit except you abide in me. And so he, he basically said there is a singular necessity and a guaranteed outcome. He said the singular necessity is that you stay abiding in him, that you're attached, that you're connected to Jesus. And that isn't something that is uh, kind of ethereal or it's not something that that is just a position that that doesn't mean anything, but it means that there's a connection, there's a relationship, there's a fellowship, there is a a, a drawing, a communication, there is a giving and receiving, that there is a life that's being lived, you're attached to him, connected to him. And he says that the guaranteed outcome that's going to come from that is that you will bear much fruit. Your life is going to find its purpose, its intention, its direction, and its meaning. And you will find your most joy. You will live life the way it was intended to live uh, when you are connected to Jesus in that way. And then he gave the method. He said, this is how you do it. And he, he basically goes on from that little blurb. And he says that you abide in me when you keep my commands. Now, uh, when we hear that, I think our minds immediately go to the law, like we think of a governor, you know, but that, just scrap that from your minds for a minute, because that wasn't the heart behind uh, the, the instruction that Jesus gave. It wasn't laws in the context of, of just being obedient to rules, but rather it's his instructions. He's saying, if you listen to me, and if you take heed to the things that I say and receive it as, as good counsel and you do what I tell you, then that is going to translate into to the abiding life. You're going to know what it means to be attached and connected to me. That's my heart and my goodwill. And then he, he kind of finishes the thing off by adding one more thing. He says, oh yeah, and by the way, love one another. Can you guys just say that? 
Because I think that's probably one of the most overlooked things in the whole kingdom of, uh, of Christians is that whole part about loving one another. But Jesus uh, included it in that whole talk of being abiding in him, of the part of loving uh, each other. And so I, I wanted to like kind of sow that thought at the beginning. And then I want to um, use that as a lens, that thing that Jesus said, uh, through which we look at this passage and consider our, our study and where we are in our study through the truth that Jesus declared there. Now, where we are, and last week we weren't in Acts at all, we were in Romans, and I'm not going to review that too much, you know, but we're back in Acts. But in this section of Acts, what we have is we have a contrast really between Paul, who is becoming the theme of Acts, and Peter who has been the theme, but he's about to fade off the scene. And so we're kind of in this middle space where Paul is being prepared and Peter is kind of in his prime and, and there's going to be kind of a handing off of the baton in a sense. And, and what we've seen in this, we've seen Paul who is a new convert and Peter who is a seasoned convert. We've seen Paul who's filled with energy, vitality, and he's got the boldness of youth within him. And then we've also seen Peter, who has experience and sobriety and clarity, and he has the productivity of maturity. Peter is in the place where he's bearing much fruit. We've seen Paul, who knows how to argue his point, but we've also seen Peter, who knows how to raise the dead, heal the sick, and move with Jesus into new ground. And there's a vast difference between the two things when you look at Paul and when you look at Peter at the stage. Now, Peter is not better than Paul. He's just further along. Now, in our study last week, we let Paul get technical with us a little bit in, 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 in uncovering for us how the whole cultivation process works, what God is doing and what part we play in growing from the youthful maybe less productive, very energetic Christians to the more stable, more mature, more productive, more empowered Christians. And we saw that the way that happens is that we yield our lives to Jesus. It's much like what Jesus said when he said to abide in him, is that all the way down to the granular level of our thoughts, we yield ourselves to walk in his ways to believe his words, to be conformed to what he says, rather than what the context of this world gives to us. And he says, if you just continually do that and learn to live in that space, then you're going to grow into the place where you're fruitful and productive. Okay, stay connected to Jesus. That's what he says. Now, Paul will become every bit as productive as Peter but it's being cultivated in his life right now. Now, where we are in Acts chapter 11, we're in Peter's story. And Peter now is about to walk with Jesus into a storm. Jesus has a way of leading his disciples into a storm. Did you know that? We read it in the gospels, don't we? Jesus said, hey, get in the boat, guys. We're going to the other side. And they said, okay. And he knew full well what they were getting into. And Jesus has just done something with Peter, and that is that Jesus sent Peter to people that the church wasn't ready to receive, and Peter did it, okay, because to this point, the gospel, the message of salvation has only gone to Jewish people. It has not gone to Gentile people or to Roman people, but God just changed that. Because he spoke to Peter, gave him a vision, an opportunity, an open door, a command to go to a Roman centurion of all people and to preach the gospel in his house, to which God responded by pouring out his spirit and saving a Gentile family, which was powerful and moving. And it really did change the world. It affected us directly. If you're not a Jewish person here tonight, because it means that the gospel was extended to you as well as to the Jew. But now, Peter has to go back to Jerusalem, and he's about to find out a truth in the church. And that is, words and gossip spread faster than feet can walk. Okay, Because when Peter now is going to go back to Jerusalem, he's going to find the elder board 
and the apostles and the authorities waiting for him at the door, demanding explanation for why he just did something that to them would be culturally unacceptable, traditionally unprecedented, humanly uncomfortable. Peter walks into it, okay? (laughs) Uh, But he does it willingly. Let's read the first three verses of chapter 11. It says that the apostles and the brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision, so the Jewish believers, contended with him, saying, you went in to men uncircumcised and did eat with them. Now imagine what was this like for Peter. He knew what he was going to face when he went back there. And, and he sees them with their arms crossed and he sees the look upon their face and the first words out of their mouth were accusatory. You went in to uncircumcised people and you did eat with them. That is absolutely a no-no. It is forbidden. We're told that these were people of the circumcision, which means that not only were they Jews, but they were Jewish Christians of a particular persuasion or c- conviction. And and that was that they were having trouble, these particular Christians and leaders, these were leaders, they were having trouble letting go of the Old Testament customs that Jesus nailed to the cross with him, okay? Their belief was that if someone wanted to become a Christian, they had to convert to Judaism first. They needed to be circumcised And they needed to agree to and adhere to the laws of Moses in order for them to become candidates qualified to be saved by grace through faith. Now, if you think that through for a minute, that's very inconsistent because the two things are mutually exclusive. You can't earn your way into God's favor and be saved by grace at the same time. It's one or the other. But they hadn't come to that place yet where they really understood that and experienced it. And so they were of the circumcision. They were the first of what we would call the legalists. Those that would say that you cannot be baptized into Jesus until you first get your life right. You can't be baptized into Jesus until you first quit smoking, peel those bumper stickers off your car, and stop going to yoga classes. When you get all of that down and you fully understand what it means, then you can be baptized into Jesus, but he won't accept you until then, okay? Now, Peter has just held an evangelism crusade in a Roman centurion's living room. And that would be very much like, you know, uh, just a traditional gospel preacher doing uh, an evangelism crusade in, in a Las Vegas ballroom conference room, you know, kind of a thing. And, and then coming back and, and what in the world are you doing in that place? And he has to contend with an elder board that wants answers. Now I want to say this, that this is not unhealthy. It is not unhealthy for these leaders to be rightfully questioning what Peter is doing. It shows that there was accountability and, and, and there was Uh, enough courage within the leaders to stand up to someone as powerful as Peter when they had questions about whether what he was doing was actually right. And this is a healthy thing. It is not good for someone to have unchecked power and authority, and it wouldn't be healthy for Peter to say, hey, I'm Peter, okay? I just, I'm going to do what Jesus tells me to do, and that's it, okay? He was approachable, and they approached him. And so this isn't a bad thing, but it certainly was uncomfortable, all right? Well, watch what happens. It says in chapter 11, verse four, it says, but Peter, this was his response. It says that he rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them. So he doesn't get defensive here and he doesn't pull rank or authority. He simply explains to them how everything went down. He didn't fight. He didn't argue. He didn't resist them. And he didn't marginalize it as it being no big deal. He wanted to answer their questions. And so he begins by sharing his revelation. He had a revelation from God. He says in verse five, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision A certain vessel descended as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by the four corners, and it came even to me. Upon the which, when I had fastened my eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air, of course, ceremonially unclean and foods that were illegal, not lawful to be eaten. 
And I heard a voice saying unto me, arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed that call, not thou common. Okay, that is, and then he he says that this was done three times and then all were drawn up again into heaven. He said it started with a revelation. He said, I was on the housetop. I was seeking God. I was praying to God and I was receiving from God. And we've talked about how important that is, how powerful it is and, and, and essential it is for the people of God to be connected to him daily throughout the day on a moment-by-moment basis. And that was something that Peter was doing. And that's important because it is essential that you understand that it is not enough for any believer to just have a relationship with the Bible and not have a relationship with the person of God himself. And the reason for that is because the Bible does not answer all things, okay? It's not enough sometimes. I remember my first pastor was on a mission trip uh, somewhere like in India or something like that. And they have a, a vastly different culture than we do, if you've never been there. But uh, he, he was ministering in a place with a bunch of other pastors and they were holding an evangelism crusade and a doctor gave his life to Christ and came up for counseling afterwards. And, and he said, I, I, I just gave my life to Jesus. And he said, I feel it, I know it. And he says, there's something that, that I need to, to set right. He says, I have seven wives. And he goes, and I know I can't be married to seven wives and be a Christian. He said, which one do I stay with? (laughs) Okay, there's no verse in the Bible that's going to answer that question. (laughs) All right, you need something else from God if you're going to do it. I've heard of another pastor who, uh, there was a woman in his church and she was invited by someone else and she gave her life to Jesus and she had a sincere conversion and she came to the pastor after the service and she said, I have been living with my boyfriend for 14 years and we have three kids. What do I do? What's the right answer? Do you, do you tell her to break up? Do you, what do you do? I mean, it's not as simple always as, well, just move out. You you know what I mean? There's sometimes something that's a little bit more complicated. We often, not just pastors, but as Christians, we encounter other brothers and sisters that come to us and they say, what am I supposed to do at this crossroad? And sometimes we wish that there was a chapter and verse that said, take the job or relocate or stay put. But it doesn't always work like that. You need more than just a Bible to have a fruitful, productive, and, and, and helpful walk with God, okay? And so what happens here is that Peter is seeking God, he's praying to God, he's receiving from God, and now God challenges, to, challenges Peter in verses six through eight to do something that in a different era and under a different covenant would be considered unclean. He shows him these animals that were forbidden strictly for a Jewish person to eat, And God now tells him to eat of it. And Peter is confused by this and ready to stand by his convictions. He rightly says, as any of us would have known, Lord, like that's just, I can't do that. That would violate, like what else is going to break down in my life if I cross that barrier, if I cross that line? I don't know if I can do that. And then Jesus responds by saying that I have now sanctified this. I sanctified something through my blood that formerly was unclean. And God sometimes sanctifies things that were formerly unclean. And if you don't believe that, I just want you to look at the person next to you right now. Okay, what you are looking at was formerly unclean and is now sanctified by Jesus. If, I, if you had a mirror, I would tell you to do the same thing in a mirror. Because when you look in a mirror, you are looking at something that formerly was unclean, but now is sanctified by the blood of Jesus. And that was the whole point behind what God wanted to teach Peter through this revelation. Well, the revelation was followed by providence. Providence means the leading of God through circumstances. Watch what happens in verse 11. It says that, behold, immediately there were three men already come into the house where I was sent, sent from Caesarea unto me. There's two words in that verse I want you to see, the word immediately and already. Meaning that before God even finished giving Peter the vision, okay, the action was already being instituted. 
that what Peter was to do with what God was showing him was already happening before it was even over. It was immediate and it was already happening. They were already there. And the spirit bade me to go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brothers accompanied me, Peter is able to say to these elders that are confronting him. And we entered into the man's house and he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words whereby you and all your house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them, the Gentiles, the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? God responded to the gospel being heard by these men by supernaturally changing their lives. He came into the room and I watched their hearts change right in front of me. And I knew in that moment that the verse of God giving his spirit to us was now being applied to them. And for me to resist it would be to be resisting God because though he was doing something I wasn't comfortable with, that I was not expecting, that I didn't think was in the cards or in the plans of how God was going to move in the world, he did it anyway in spite of my not understanding it. And for me to resist it would be to resist God because God was doing it. So that was his response to this thing. He says, the Holy Ghost fell. There was scriptural confirmation and God was doing something that I could not withstand. Now watch the response of those that heard him. It is also healthy, verse 18. For now, it's gonna grow unhealthy later, but it's healthy for now. It says that when they heard these things, they held their peace And they glorified God saying, then has God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. They actually rejoice in what took place because they hear the sincerity of Peter's report and they get behind what God is doing. And for now they say, our hearts are open to what we don't understand, but that God is clearly doing and we don't want to be in God's way We want to get behind what God is doing and we want to be a part of what God is doing. So they rejoiced in life. There is something that is innately human that we are for some reason so inclined to cling to a form. Is is, is there something that about familiarity? There's something about what we're used to that we are so drawn to. And I think it's a part of the, the human psyche that, that, that deals with fear. It deals with um, control, you know, that, that we're just, we're afraid of, of what's unknown. We're afraid of what's unfamiliar. We're afraid of change oftentimes. We're afraid of things happening that, that, that are outside of our control or that we don't understand. And so for that reason, when we find something that for us just seems secure, it seems concrete, it seems unchanging, it seems stable, we gravitate towards those things because it helps us as humans. The problem is with that is that fear and control and and being form uh, drawn to forms is part of the lower kingdom. It's part of an earthly thing. It's part of the fallen part of us. And here's the big problem with a form. You say, well, what's wrong with with that? You know, having a form or a formula or just saying that, okay, this is what God does. These are the parameters in which God works. And and, and this is where I am and this is where I'm comfortable. Here's the problem with a form is that when you have a form, you can remove God from the form and the form will continue to be the form. A form will still function even if God is absent from the form. The mechanism that forms around the form will keep going. It becomes self-cycling even if the spirit of God that maybe began what became the form has graciously and invisibly exited the building. You say, really? Yeah, really. I'll give you proof. The Old Testament. Okay, because God created Israel and he created something powerful. And it became a very strong form. And the people of God became so committed to the form that they forsook the God of the form and they had no idea that God left the form. 
Because when God came back into the form in the person of Jesus, they didn't recognize him. Talk about undercover boss, right? Here comes God into the form that these people are clinging to that God left a long time ago. And he says, okay, here I am. And they're like, who are you? You don't fit here. Hence the scripture that the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. He was the cornerstone of what became their form. He left. And when he came back in, they're like, what are you doing here? You don't even fit in the middle of this whole thing. Because you, you, can, you can lose God in a form. Now, I've experienced this in my own Christian life to a degree. I was brought up in, in the faith in a place where I was systematically taught the scripture. It was so healthy and it was so good for me. It was good, it was sound, but it was a form. And, and there was a form in what I, what I experienced. And it was good but the problem is that no form can contain all truth. It ends up having limitations. And again, it can become its own thing and God can exit it. And so in my form, what I learned is I learned to embrace and accept everything that fit within my form. And I also learned then to reject and avoid everything that didn't fit within my form. And so I had sources in, in things that I deemed safe and acceptable, and I would gravitate towards those things, but everything else had to stay on the outside because my form is big enough for me to, to live in. And then I remember some things started to happen. I had an aunt who I loved. I, she's still alive. I still love her. And it was Thanksgiving or Christmas, and, and we were having a conversation, and she was sharing with me how God had gotten a hold of her life in a very powerful way through a television preacher who likes to swing his jacket around. I won't name any names. And something went inside of me, and I thought, well, that doesn't fit in my form. Like, that is just, that's outside. That's, that doesn't count. And, and I felt like it is my duty to God as a person of the word, as a pastor. It is my duty to explain to her the right ways. And so I shared with her how this jacket-swinging preacher whom God used to reach into her life was actually not really from God. And, and, and I felt in my mind like I was doing God's service, but at the same time, deeper, somewhere in my spirit, something didn't feel right about what I was doing in that moment. I, you know, but I, I, you just got to do it. I mean, you know, we stand for truth. I remember there were times when people would hand me a book and say, hey, this book really changed my life. And I would look at it and it was written by a female pastor. That didn't, that doesn't, this doesn't fit within my form. I, I can't even, I can't, this is going to burn my hands if I, I can't touch this book because I know what my form says is right. And so this can't possibly be. Other books, other teachings, other messages, things that didn't fit inside the form. It became strangely uncomfortable, controversial things. I would meet people from other churches, other denominations, Christian people. I had no problem believing that they were Christian people. But I was a little bit more, not, not, not more Christian. I was just a little bit more, I, I don't know, maybe they'll get it. <laughs> you know, maybe they'll come to where I am. I had a really good form. But there was something that was missing. Something really big was missing from my form. And, and God doesn't submit to our forms. And if we have a heart to seek after God, he's not going to let you stay within a form that is way too small for him to occupy. And so God began to work in me. And I remember there was an occasion where there was a pastor who spoke here. This is uh, back several years. And I was asked to drive him uh, from here to his next destination, which was about two and a half hours away. And I had two and a half hours in the car. It was Lewis Neely from Warehouse Ministries out in Sacramento. And he's a very old man. He's still alive. I think he's into his 90s now. And he had a long history with God. And, and I was just talking to him. And I'm kind of an introvert, so uh, I don't you know, keep the conversation going well. But he asked me a question. He said, have you ever heard of Dominic Dunn? And I said, no, the name doesn't mean anything to me. I said, who's Dominic Dunn? And he said, well, he's a young man who uh, was a part of our ministry for a while. And he says, I really love him. He says, I love him so dearly. He says, he's got a ministry uh, up in Portland. He started a church called a Jesus Church. And he said, I was really hoping that Dominic would take over for me uh, someday when I'm ready to retire. But he said, the Lord had other plans for him. And he said, but I love him so dearly, and God is using him so profoundly and amazingly up there in Portland. He says, if you ever get a chance, check him out. And so I thought, all right, well, I kind of trust Lewis. He's in my form, you know, so I'll, I'll, I'll check out Dominic Dunn. So I uh, Googled his name, and he was doing a series in his church up in Portland uh, called Restore. And it was on Psalm 23, 
and it was on uh, the restoration of the soul. And I listened to it, and it and it got a hold of me because it was doing it was he was saying things from Psalm 23 that were resonating with things that I needed at that time. But he was basing a lot of what he was saying on a book that was written by an author who's an unapproved author in my form. I mean, he was quoting this author that is an unapproved author, and I thought, oh, this is getting a little uneasy. This is a little uncomfortable for me. I don't, I don't know if I can handle this, you know, but I thought, well, I, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm growing from the things that he's saying. Maybe I'll get the book, and I'll just read the book and see. And I read the book, and when I read the book, there, there was deeper things that were being done in me, and it was touching me in ways that I, I needed and it, and, it, and it caused me to, to, to wake up just a little bit and, and say, wait. So I, I, I Googled, there was something, there was another thing that was recommended to me that, that, that was outside of, outside of the form. It was outside of what I would accept. It was a controversial pastor from Charlotte, North Carolina. And there was a series that he was doing that was kind of on the same vein. And I kind of like let down my skeptical shield that I had up the sevenfold shield of everything that has to pass before I'll listen to anything that you have to say. And I, and I listened to a little of it and, it, and it reached so deeply inside of me and started doing things, healing things that I didn't know were broken, listening to, to the things that were saying, and, and, it, and it did something. It did something deep inside of me. And there was a repentance that was happening at the same time. There was a brokenness that was happening, that there was a healing that was happening. And I realized like, oh my goodness, like I think I might, I think I might be really, really, really have made a mistake just kind of in, in the way that I've boxed God into this form. And I've kind of restricted him from being able to move through people's lives and in ministries that I didn't understand and in the process of it, I've become atrophied and malnourished in ways that I need to be nourished and built up and taught, and this isn't good. At the same exact time, we went on vacation as a family. See, this is my revelation. Peter had one, uh, and we went on vacation. We were in Colorado Springs, and we were visiting uh, kind of a friend of a family member, and I didn't know these people, but we were in their house, and they had another friend, the homeowner had another friend come uh, from Houston, Texas, uh, and they were visiting as well. And it came up in, in conversation that this man was a Christian man, and he was uh, just full of Jesus. He was just very kind. He was very genuine. He was very sincere. And so he began to share his story, and it turns out that he was saved, and he was currently attending a church in Houston, uh, something like Lakewood or, or something, Lakewood, Texas, or something like that. I, I, don't, I don't remember all the details. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Can, you see, there was a form that was denying that God could move outside of the form that I had fitted him into, and God was saying, I'm not going to be stuck within your form. And what I realized in that moment, in those moments, is that I made God very, very small, and I had become very small because of how small I had made God. And what I realized is that I wasn't keeping out deception by having a form. I was actually keeping out God. I was keeping God out of my life. See, the, the truth of God and the substance of God and the life of God comes through his people. His truth comes from his word primarily. We get his, and we never forsake that. He doesn't vary from it. He doesn't change from it. But his essence and his substance and his personality comes through the diversity of the people that he made and the people that he saved. The greatest gift that God ever gave to the world beside Jesus and the church is when he opened up the gospel to the Gentiles. Because all of a sudden now, the tapestry through which God can be expressed through the multitude of personalities that he's created, when he sanctifies a life, now becomes limitless. And I had been cutting myself off, and Christians, we cut ourselves off from so much of it because we think that we're going to be deceived. Oftentimes, I think it's actually just a spiritual arrogance. That's what it was for me, at least. Hey, I've got a really good form. I understand well, what was the result of all that in my life? The result of all of those things God doing, God showing me, is that in my heart, I left a denomination and I joined the church. That's what happened. You say, well, which church? What do you mean? No, no, I am part of the church. That's what I am as a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ. That means I am Baptist, 
I am Pentecostal. I am Methodist. I am Anglican and Presbyterian. I am independent. I am prosperity gospel and I am word of faith. I am house church and I am mega church. I am online church. I'm conservative, traditional, and progressive. I am southern church. I'm city church. I'm topical church and I'm line by line church. I am worship with drums and haze in the room and I am worship with four part harmony with just a piano and a choir. I am the church and I'm free and it's what we're called to be. It's what it means to be a Christian, to belong to the body of Christ, to love one another, to embrace what Jesus has cleansed and have the ability to receive from all Christians. But this isn't about me. This passage isn't about me. This passage is actually about Paul in a way. Because Paul's going to really become the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul's kind of a form guy. By the way, this is also about you. This is about you too, because God wants to cultivate something in you that goes beyond the form that you as a human being are apt to put God into. See, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a form guy. But God was going to call him to the Gentiles. And amongst the Gentiles, he was going to be in every corner of the Roman Empire, dealing with every type of Roman culture, every kind of Roman angle, every kind of Roman idea, and every class of Roman citizen. And he would have to be all things to all people to pastor and shape churches that would look vastly different from one another, that would face vastly different problems, have vastly different types of people, and would have to reflect and receive and worship Jesus in ways wherein only he knew they needed in the moments that they were in. Paul had a lot to have cultivated within him. You say, how do you navigate all of that? Because that's a lot. There's a big difference. And certainly not everything is good. That's true. Not everything is good. So how do you navigate it? I want to take you to two quick passages and then we're going to close. Matthew chapter 12 Beginning in verse 22, a very important interaction that Jesus had that came with some instruction that he gave. Jesus says, or the, the Matthew, sorry, writes in Matthew chapter 12, beginning verse 22, he says this. It says, then was brought unto him, the him is Jesus there. Now, just for context, I want you to understand that the him in this passage, Jesus in this passage, he is an unapproved personage in the spiritual community that is Israel in these days. He is not part of the form that the mainstream of Judaism at this time has accepted and received. He is an outsider. He is viewed by the religious establishment as a deceiver, a heretic, a leader not approved by God. That's the him in the passage. But it says that was brought to him one who was possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. Now this is the centerpiece of this entire passage. Is this man who was possessed by a demon and who was crippled in his soul, in his spirit, and in his body to the point where he was debilitated without vision, without the ability to speak. He was messed up. And he had an encounter with Jesus, who was unapproved at the time, and his life was changed. He was made new. He was renewed. He was made whole. Jesus had compassion on this broken life, and this life was restored. And it was such a powerful miracle that took place within this man that it says in verse 23 that all the people were amazed, and they said, is not this the son of David? He's the Messiah. If a man can have this kind of an impact on a life that it can be changed from that into that, he is none other than the Messiah himself. And the common people were smart enough to get it. But watch this, verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. All right, their, their mentality was, okay, well, we don't approve him. He doesn't do things our way. He doesn't fit within our form. And so we need to slander and discredit the lives that are being changed around him and actually ascribe his good works to the devil so as the influence of the nation doesn't turn towards him instead of to us. 
We need to prop ourselves up by putting him down. He's of the devil. That was what they said. And Jesus knew their thoughts, and here's his response. He said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Did you see the word every in there? Every. And if Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How shall his kingdom then stand? He said, what sense does it make for the devil to go around casting himself out? And if I, by Beelzebub, a demon, cast out devils, then by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But, verse 28, if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. If there is fruit around what I am doing, then you need to deal with the fact that there's fruit around what I'm doing. And you need to recognize that the kingdom of God has come. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his good, except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house? Now watch verse 30. Listen, church, listen. Form-fitted, blood-bought believer, listen. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathers not with me scatters abroad. Jesus says, listen, whether it is the kingdom of darkness or it is the kingdom of light, it doesn't matter which kingdom it is. If that kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If the kingdom of light is divided against the kingdom of light, then the kingdom of light is weak and the kingdom of light will ultimately fail. Now, listen to the most powerful words that Jesus spoke in the entire New Testament connected in context to this passage. Verse 31. Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whosoever speaks against the Holy Ghost, it will not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now you tell me in the context of this passage, he says wherefore, he connects the one to the next. He is saying that if you, ascribe to the devil the works that are being done by God. If you are a divider of the kingdom of light, then you are in grave danger of judgment yourself. Do not go against what God is doing. What did Peter say? He said, for me to get in the way of this would be for me to withstand God. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's outside of my comfort place, my culture, my understanding, but God is doing it. I've got to get behind it. Now watch Jesus' conclusion, verse 33. He goes on, but listen to his pre-conclusion. He says, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by its fruit. Jesus says, listen, you assess and you say, is it good or is it bad? Is this right or is this wrong? And you make the conclusion which one it is. What is the fruit? But before you cut it down, you better make sure. If you're going to say that something that claims to be God is not of God, then you better be sure that it's not of God before you cut it down because you may be dividing the kingdom of light. And Jesus says, you do not want to do that. What is the fruit that is good fruit that Jesus speaks of? Well, it starts in verse 22. There was a demon-possessed man who was crippled and maimed, and he was made whole and completed by what Jesus did. When lives are changed, when the gospel gets under the surface of someone's soul and into the substance of who they are, and they are changed by Jesus, that is fruit in someone's life. And if you don't like the church that it happened in, or the vessel that God used to do it, or if it happened because someone was swinging a jacket, or smiling very brightly, and you're not comfortable with the expression whereby the life was changed, you better make sure that it wasn't God before you cut it down because you're dividing the kingdom of light. If people are being saved and lives are being changed, then God is using it. In Acts chapter 11, verse 18, our, the end of our passage, it says that they glorified God because he granted repentance to the Gentiles unto life. Their lives were being changed. And they said, if God is using this to change lives, then even though I don't understand it, I'm going to get behind it. Jesus would say, this is my very mission. John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I have come that they might have what? Life and to have it more abundantly. 
In John 3, 17, he said, I did not come to condemn the world or judge the world. I came that the world might be saved. In another translation, it says to have life. Jesus came to give life. And where life is being given, where lives are being changed, where people are being reborn, where the spirit of God is entering in and regenerating, where repentance is coming forth out of people's life. God is doing something in it, even if you don't get it or understand it. You say, well, what's the bad fruit? Jesus said, if the tree's bad, then make the tree bad. Turn to the book of Jude, where we close. See, Jude wrote, he was the half-brother of Jesus. And Jude wrote, and his reason for writing, he gives it in verse 3. He says that I'm writing this so that you, Christian, can earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. You say, okay, now you're speaking my language. Let's earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And then in the rest of this little one chapter, this little one chapter that he gives, he gives you two lists. He says, this is bad fruit. And then he says, this is good fruit. All right, let's, I'm not going to read through it, but I'm going to tell you what they are. You have homework again. I hope you guys did your homework last week because you're going to get way backed up. But Jude's only one chapter, so it's not that hard. Here's the bad fruit. He says, this is the bad fruit that will come up in someone's life if, if, they're, if they're really genuinely not of me. In verses 8 through 10, bad fruit is that they speak evil of other leaders. In verse 11, bad fruit is that they're like Cain. They're jealous because God is blessing what they don't understand. That's exactly what happened with Cain. He didn't understand how God could be blessing Abel's simplicity, and he grew jealous and bitter. Thirdly, he says bad fruit in verses 14 and 15 is ungodly character. In verse 16, he says bad fruit is gossip and complaining and being over-concerned with your own reputation. In verse 19, he says bad fruit is separating yourself. In other words, making yourself, I'm not like the other Christians, dividing the kingdom of light. I'm different. I'm higher. I'm better. He says that's bad fruit. Then the good fruit. That, by the way, that's Pharisees. <laughs> if you read the Pharisees, but what's the good fruit? Verse 20. He says, but you, you who are going to earnestly contend for the faith, you want to know what the faith is that was once delivered unto the saints? He says, but you beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith. That's number one is build up yourself in the faith. Feed it exercise it, cultivate it, keep growing closer to Jesus. Number two, he says, praying in the Holy Ghost. What's that? That's being connected to Jesus and receiving of his spirit in your life. It's praying, motivated and empowered by his spirit and then receiving like Peter was on the rooftop when he was in a trance. He was praying and he was hearing. He was connected to Jesus. That's good fruit. Be connected to Jesus. Stay close to him. Thirdly, he says, verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. In the love of God. Not the law of God. Not the judgment of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. And watch this finally. Looking for the mercy. What are you looking for? Are you looking for error? Are you looking for someone's faults? Are you, no, you're looking for mercy. For what? What kind of mercy? He says, looking for mercy, the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Where is God showing mercy to people and giving them life? Where is God showing up and changing lives in the middle of this? That's what we're to look to. Look for his mercy. Don't look for people's errors. What are they doing? What are they saying? How are they dressing? Why are they saying it like that? Why are they shouting? Why is a song like that? Why is there haze in the room? Why are there like, no, no, no. What lives are being changed? What fruit is coming out of it? How is God using something that maybe you don't understand or you're not comfortable with? Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. What I love is that the Jerusalem church at this moment was healthy enough to rejoice with Peter when the Gentiles got saved, which was really a big deal. It was way outside the box of what they ever expected that God was going to do. And yet they were healthy enough to get behind it. What does it come down to for you and I? Is the need, the essential need to abide in the vine. 
Jesus said that there's a singular necessity and a guaranteed outcome. The necessity is to stay connected to Jesus. If you stay connected to Jesus, you're not only going to be a part of what he's doing in ways that you didn't comprehend, but you're going to be able to get behind what Jesus is doing towards other people that you don't understand. Stay connected to Jesus and you're going to bear much fruit. And then he says, and love one another. Don't look with criticism upon the body of Christ. Don't look with critical eyes at other brothers and sisters. Love each other. Let love grow. Love is going to be what causes us to be known as his disciples, and it's going to be what changes the world because a kingdom that's divided against itself cannot stand, and the church ever, in this time more than ever, needs to be strong. It needs to be alive. I think if there's anything that the last two years have taught us is that things change quick, and we need to be adaptable. And we need to be soft and we need to be movable. And we need to be able to adjust to what God's going to do. Because there are challenges that we're facing right now, but there are also insane opportunities. And if we will connect to Jesus, we don't have to be just on defense not being harmed. We can be on offense watching what he's doing through the things that are happening right now. Jesus likened the spirit unto two things. He likened it unto wind and he likened it unto water. In John chapter 3, he likened it to wind. In John chapter 7, he likened it unto water. Do you know what the two, the two things that wind and water have in common? They are extremely flexible. They shift when they're, when they're moved. And, and a spirit-filled person is going to shift when they are moved. And if we are in the last days, and I don't know if, 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 if we have time left, I don't know where we are in, in, in relationship to all of that, but if we are in the last days then Jesus was emphatically clear about what's essential in these times. And that is that our lamps be filled with oil. Filled with his Holy Spirit. Filled with him. You can have a lamp without oil. Do you know what that is? It's a form. You can have it. And no one knows, looking at the outside of the lamp, what's inside of it. But he says, be filled with oil. We need him now more than ever. And he's available to us. If you're here tonight and you need more of Jesus, give yourself to Jesus. If your heart's become closed, if you've been stuck in a form, break out of the form. If you've been judging the body of Christ and you're critical of other Christians, repent of your critical spirit and receive what God is doing through other people. And if you don't know Jesus here tonight, I want you to know that he loves you so much that he died and he gave his life so that he could enter into you and unlock what life is supposed to be and give you eternal life forever. He's the God who changes all things. And it begins when you just open up your heart to him and say, Jesus, I give you my life. Take control. I want you to be my Lord. And may we as a church be strong. Father, we thank you tonight for your word, for your truth, for your ways. Would you help us, Lord, to grow would you help our roots to be deep in the soil of your spirit and your person? Would you help our branches to be attached to your vine? And would you help us, dear Lord, to love one another and to receive from one another? Thank you, Lord, for the gift of pouring out your spirit on so many different personalities. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you express yourself through each unique one. And you did it in such a way that we could receive and grow and reflect light and receive substance. So Lord, teach us and help us to be your body, to be your family, and to be effective in our, 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 our sphere and in our world in these days. Thank you, Lord, for being here. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.